Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little about marriage counseling versus alternatives And we're going to give a brief update and a lot of thank yous for a very special uh, PeaceWorks event that we just concluded. Hey, before we do that, though, let me remind you once again about some of the resources that we have prepared and made available for you over at chrismoles.org. In addition to uh, the blog that uh, is over there and access to the PeaceWorks podcast, and some other resources and tools we have, uh, that's where you can get connected to PeaceWorks University. And PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And we would love to have you be part of PeaceWorks University. If you're benefiting from the PeaceWorks podcast, then you've heard me say it dozens of times, uh, PeaceWorks University is your next best step. For a small monthly fee or a small annual fee, you can uh, be part of PeaceWorks University. We have tons of resources over there, organized and ready for you. It's kind of like the Netflix for people helpers. And coming in 2022, uh, you'll be at the tip of the spear of some of the things happening at PeaceWorks, including extra resources and some discounts on some things that's going to be um, uh, coming down the pike here in 2022. So if you've been considering PeaceWorks University. Let me encourage you to go ahead and make that happen. I don't think you'll regret it. All right, let's talk a little bit, uh, or let's shift gears, I should say, and head into to today's podcast. Before I jump to our question that we have today, and we do have a, a question that I think we can answer uh, in the given time, I wanted to give a quick shout out and thank you to all the folks who made Uh, the Men of Peace Facilitator Training, a success. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast uh, regularly, you have zero idea what I'm talking about. So let me fill you in on what happened. At the time of this recording, and I'm recording this on Monday, August 9th, we have just concluded our first ever live Men of Peace Facilitator Training. Now, we kept that under wraps for a reason because we wanted to make sure we were able to to vet and uh, manage the individuals who wanted to get that initial training in working with perpetrators of abuse. And so we sent out some invitations to PeaceWorks University members and folks that we knew were interested, churches that had shown an interest or I had spoke at in the past. And I would say somewhere between 150 to 175 folks with a limited space of 50. We, we limited our initial training to 50 folks. And wouldn't you know it, we had 50 folks uh, register for that training. And guys, I'm telling you, uh, PeaceWorks uh, podcast listeners, it was a very, very beneficial weekend. And I just wanted to give a shout out to everyone who made that possible. Family, friends, and of course, uh, my assistant here at PeaceWorks, who worked tirelessly to make sure that that event uh, was a success, and it certainly was. 
And so I bring this up to you, one, to publicly say that this event happened and to thank those who attended and those who helped make it happen, but also to introduce or begin the conversation to some of the next steps in uh, Men of Peace. And so we're really thankful to have more people trained. That means the next step is conversations regarding individuals who may be leading groups in their community, in their city, in their church. Now, that doesn't mean that tomorrow a group will be available in your region, but it does mean that people are having that conversation. I sat down with one church who had already scribbled out a tentative plan to prepare and have conversations with their leadership in the hopes of launching their own Men of Peace process uh, 18 months from now. So this was a really encouraging time to see individuals considering sharing the work and becoming part of the work. And what I believe is one of the most difficult but also beneficial and needed works that is working directly in confronting and coaching and counseling and even the group work associated with perpetrators of abuse. Now, that thank you and that quick plug lead us into our discussion today. You see, the question that I received today that I, that I want to discuss with you for, for just a few moments is trying to understand this idea of marriage counseling Uh, versus parallel tracks of care. Now, it's worded that way because often when I speak, I will make the recommendation against marriage counseling. It'll go something like this. When abuse is disclosed, discovered, or suspected, marriage counseling um, is not recommended. But instead, we recommend functioning in parallel tracks of care. Now, of course, the imagery is that the individuals are separated in their counseling and care and They are placed on individual rails. They're placed on individual processes that run parallel to each other but are not the same. I bring that up because uh, this individual, the, the person writing in, wants that to be fleshed out a little bit more. So let's start with one of the more obvious ones, or I think one of the more commonly discussed aspects, is that abuse, and in particular domestic abuse, is not a marriage problem. In fact, I think we, we know that. We have been repeating that. That's been something that we say quite frequently. In fact, I remember, you know, well, uh, years ago, it's been, it's been over a decade now, I believe, when I first had that conversation with individuals within the biblical counseling movement. And to a, to a degree, it wasn't new but saying it out loud was somewhat revolutionary in that, okay, that's, that's a good framework. Like that's super helpful to understand that domestic abuse is not a marriage problem. And it became, became something that many within the movement took, thankfully, and began to proclaim or state or uh, process that domestic abuse is not a marriage problem. The reason why that was so helpful, I think, and has, has continued to be helpful in restating and restating and restating is because the temptation within any form of counseling, and and although I work primarily in church and biblical counseling, um, licensed counselors, marriage and family therapists, the temptation is to address conflict of any kind within a marriage 
as a marriage problem. Not to mention that sometimes abuse dynamics are presented to the counselor as a marriage problem. And so the temptation is not to assess um, what's happening, but the temptation is to kind of move forward into marriage-focused solutions. But as you've heard me say on occasion, marriage-focused solutions are impotent at best, but dangerous at worst, uh, because we're not dealing with a marriage problem. Abuse, and domestic abuse in particular, is when one partner uses power to control another partner. So the victim, as it were, in the case, in the marriage, is not going to have the mutuality or the reciprocity or the ability to make any repairs to the marriage because it is not the marriage itself that is the functional problem. It is the abuser's use of abuse that's the functional problem. So we, we often have to backtrack a little bit in training and teaching with counselors to understand that marriage-focused solutions, while not addressing the real problem, will often put an exorbitant amount of weight and pressure and undue responsibility on the victim as opposed to the perpetrator, which is one of the reasons why uh, abusers would be willing to consult and remain in marriage counseling, believe it or not, uh, using that as leverage to put the weight and pressure on their partner. If she were to behave a certain way, I wouldn't be so angry. If she were to respond better, I wouldn't I wouldn't be reserved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Help us with our communication problems and so on. Uh, often, again, placing more weight on the victim than responsibility on the perpetrator. So the, the alternative in, in a counseling setting, we often say, is to construct parallel tracks of care. What do those look like? Well, honestly, if it was a formula, I would be very nervous. I think the idea of, uh, and this is what I think some, I bring that up because I think some people want that. I think sometimes counselors are saying, yes, parallel tracks of care, I get it, let's separate them. Now tell me what to do, exactly what to do with each party. And I think that's a bit dangerous as well because while abusive relationships often have similarities, they are in and of themselves unique in their complexities. And so to simply build formulaic responses, now you can have direction, you can have steps that you want to go through with each party, uh, but formulas in and of themselves will usually um, miss the mark in many ways. So, so let me kind of lay out what may be helpful. I think the first thing you want to do is have a real simple purpose uh, behind each track. So when we separate this couple, what is our primary purpose? I believe for the victim, our primary purpose is comfort. And for the abuser, our primary purpose is confrontation. Now, sometimes when people hear that, what they hear is that the victim only receives um, kindness and is treated nicely, while the abuser is treated punitively and or um, in a mean-spirited way. So let's not go to those extremes. When I say comfort, some of you already know that comfort requires gentleness, patience, kindness, but it also requires truth and next steps and some very hard decisions that have to be made. 
On the same uh, side, or the other side, I should say, with confrontation, yes, confrontation will require the saying of hard things, the willingness to be firm and somewhat unmovable in, in your direction as a caregiver. But it's also restorative in nature. Our, our goal is not to destroy. Our, go- our goal is not to cast the judgment, but to bring about justice. And so it's a Galatians 6 kind of relationship where consequences aren't done away with because God will not be mocked. Um, we, we will pursue uh, righteousness. We won't get drawn into the same uh, temptation that has brought this individual to their particular ruin through sin, right? But we will restore. We will attempt to restore, and we will try, attempt to do that in gentleness, right? So comfort for the victim is the primary concern, while confrontation for the abuser is the primary concern. You've perhaps heard me use 1 Thessalonians 5.14 as a framework for that, right? Admonish the unruly, uh, encourage the the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. In that text, I'll often work backwards, reminding counselors that we practice patience with every aspect and every person in this work. We help the weak and the vulnerable, um, not because they are deficient. There's not, it's not to say that, that victims are deficient. It's that we are holding on to those who are harmed, and we're holding off the source of their harm. We're encouraging in our process rather than discouraging, and we're admonishing those who need to be admonished. We're warning and bringing correction to those who need it. So parallel tracks of care are designed to address the specific needs of the parties engaged and involved and affected by an abusive relationship. Now, with that comes a very clear deviation from the marriage-focused response, which is one of the more difficult things to discuss within biblical and Christian counseling. Our goal is no longer the restoration of the marriage. In a counseling relationship, that is out there. We're not abandoning that. We're simply putting that as a side effect, a consequence, a next step. Our first step is reconciliation with God through comforting the victim, uh, making God bigger than their abuser, because in many abusive relationships, the abusive partner is bigger than everything, right? Um, In confronting the abuser, calling them to repentance, Um, helping them recognize the ways in which they are opposing God, standing toe-to-toe with God, kind of that um, Cain type of moment of shaking their fist at God, drawing them into a place of hopeful repentance and reconciliation with God. You see, the marriage itself is not going to be addressed until both parties are prepared to do so. And I think the biggest mistake we make is when we make the marriage the goal rather than the individual hearts and um, sanctification of the people who are within and affected by the abusive relationship. Now, we can go on and on about whether the covenant of marriage was broken by abuse, and there's a lot of discussions that can happen there. We can go on and on about would marriage counseling be beneficial in what some some would say lower-level acts of abuse or early stages of abuse. And we could go on and on and talk about um, uh, trauma as well, which is often, you know, misplaced and and misunderstood 
within this work. I don't think we have time to process all of that in this podcast, but I do want to reiterate once again that we we understand that marriage counseling in the vast majority of cases of abuse is not warranted. It actually could be dangerous and that working with individuals within the marriage uh, would be much more helpful. Uh, and that inco- involves comfort, right, and confrontation. Now, we do a lot more conversations like that in PeaceWorks University. Certainly, there's more content that could be developed here on the podcast. But I just wanted to give you kind of a brief introduction to that uh, concept. You know, when we talk about uh, confrontational ministry and comfort ministry, we also usually bring up teams. And so I want to land the plane today by just walking you through again the concept of teams and why we think teams are so important The work of domestic abuse care and confrontation can be done at an individual level, but boy, is it difficult. So I want to encourage you, if you've not got connected, if you're a people helper that is wrestling with case after case of abuse and you're attempting to help individuals within an abusive relationship, consider surrounding yourself or um, working alongside trained individuals that might be able to help you. Some folks you might want to reach out to include counselors. But make sure that you're doing a good job of vetting those counselors to see if they're trained in the dynamics and impact of abuse. Do they understand right, the fundamental aspects of this work and why you're seeking to separate these individuals to provide them with proper care? Have you considered looking into advocacy? Advocates function a little different than counselors. Their primary role is not instructive, it's supportive. So having trained advocates in your ministry or connected to your ministry can be incredibly helpful, especially in working with victim care, giving extra support, resourcing, and opportunity for victims to decompress or debrief is uh, incredibly valuable for you as a people helper, freeing you up to continue to meet with other clients and possibly do case management over the entire confrontation and comfort piece. Consider connecting with individuals that can serve as mentors, disciplers, pastoral authority in the life of the abusive individual, in particular with abusive men. It's nice to have men who are able and trained and skilled at walking alongside individuals who've been destructive, holding them accountable, uh, not letting them off the hook, and continuing to guide them, help them, and even to some degree pressure them uh, toward the process of repentance. It also requires a level of wisdom to be able to come back to the team and to say, this guy has no interest in repentance. We're spinning our wheels. And that's one of the reasons why at the beginning of the podcast, I shared with you our efforts to train more individuals in that work. So if you would join us in praying for those individuals as they process and consider stepping into that type of ministry, we sure would appreciate it. Well, folks, I hope this has been a helpful episode, at the very least reminding each other of why we um, end marriage counseling and don't use marriage-focused solutions and why we promote individual care and confrontation. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and are able to apply it in your own context. Again, I appreciate everyone who listens to the PeaceWorks podcast, whatever platform you're on, be sure to rate and review, subscribe, let the platform know how much you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast. Thank you again, and until next time.
God bless.